Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Drunken PM Radio. I would like to thank projectmanagement.com for once again being a sponsor of this. I'd also like to thank the Scrum Alliance for giving me a reason for this podcast. So this podcast is in advance of the Scrum Gathering, the 2018 Scrum Gathering, which is happening in just a few days. And I'm very fortunate today to have Rick Brinkman with me. He's going to be doing the closing keynote. And the topic is conscious communication to bring out the best in people and others. So Dr. Brinkman, thank you for taking time out of your day. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. So you're going to be doing this talk in a few days in the warm, sunny climes of Minneapolis. Um, <laughs> last year, it's a shame. Last year we were in San Diego, but you get Minneapolis, but it's going to be a great time anyway. Um, could you give like a quick um, maybe summary of your background and, and how you got to this topic before we dig into the actual talk? Well, uh, by training, I'm a naturopathic physician, which is a holistic and medical uh, degree. There are about 20 some odd states that license them. You know, okay. we're becoming aware that prevention is the key right now. Uh, in the U.S., uh, seven out of 10 people are dying of chronic preventable disease, which we know how to prevent and are not because the medical system isn't focused in that manner. Right. And even uh, in addition, 75% of all the healthcare dollars are being spent on that. So my training was a, as a holistic physician, and I started um, counseling my patients and uh, prying into their lives. I guess they, I didn't pry health professional uh, friends pry health professionals probe, <laughs> but uh, I you know, what's going on in their relationships? What's going on in terms of life fulfillment? And before I knew it, I was much more of a naturopathic psychologist dealing with people's relationship issues, which led to. Uh, I studied communication techniques on my own so okay. I could be more effective with my patients. But then I found that they had needs for those same techniques. And when I would teach them that and they would handle the relationship issues, Eureka, all of a sudden uh, the symptom goes away. For example, I had a lady who had arthritis. She had 15 years, tried everything, nothing worked. I find her husband works for the federal government, flies back and forth to Washington, D.C. from Portland, Oregon each week. She's hated that job for 20 years, hasn't expressed it, wants to support him. He was supposed to take an early retirement. Uh, she decided against that. She suppressed that, too. When minor upsets would occur, she wouldn't deal with it because they only had two days a week together. Uh, now, if you suppress too much with somebody you care about, it builds up a barrier between the two of you. Yeah. My entire prescription to her was to teach her how you can share upset without a person feeling attacked. Okay. And when she did that, lo and behold, in uh, a month later, all her symptoms were gone. Disappeared. Wow. Yeah. So I should, I should, I want to take a moment just to mention, on, based on this point, you've got a bunch of books about, a whole lot of books in Amazon about this, focusing on individuals, family members, meetings, like all different places where these kinds of problems are going to crop up and where we might be suppressing stuff, correct? That's true. You know, another major area aside from relationships is life fulfillment. Uh, and I found that uh, when I have people clarify their values, set some goals, make a specific plan and tune up their self-esteem uh, to move forward, all of a sudden, like magic, depression and low energy syndrome that no one could put their finger on, whoosh, just disappears right before my eyes. So, uh, yeah, life fulfillment and people and relationships, I found those are two huge categories. Uh, so can, on a, uh, yeah. Sorry, I want to ask oh. you a question about this because I, I know you talk about different personas that people play when they communicate. And I don't want to give too much of that away, but you, because you just brought up the life fulfillment thing, I have a lot of students in my class who come in as victims. And they complain, I'm not allowed to do this. They won't let me do that. And I can't do this. And everybody is constrained by these things, these things that they see holding them back. Um, now, in, in the example that you gave, that woman you know, loved her husband, wanted to stay with him. But there is a choice that she's making there to stay bound by not 
expressing it. Yes. How do you how do you approach that conversation with someone when you want to help them stop being a victim and either make a conscious choice or do something about it? Well, you know, I, because I'm her counselor, I'm in a specific relationship where that's what she's there for and what she's paying okay. for. So it's a little different than if I was trying to uh, tell that to a friend. However, I remember, you know, in, in writing the relatives uh, book, I was paying attention to different stories. And um, my mother-in-law was, she could get into a real negativity, you know, everything's yeah. wrong, nothing's right. And even worse, it's generalized. So it's not like you can problem solve it. And uh, my sister-in-law. <laughs> and who are you to try? <laughs> yeah. My, my sister-in-law was, was very good friends. You know, she wasn't married and very good friends with the mother. I and mean, they were buddies. They'd go to movies together, they'd go out to dinner together. But the negativity was getting to her. And finally, my sister-in-law said, Mom, I love you very much. I love hanging out with you. I want to have this relationship, but I can't handle the ne negativity. Uh, either that has to change or I can't, I just can't do this. And bam, my mother-in-law snapped, snapped to it. She didn't want to lose that relationship. Okay. Now, it took a lot of courage on my sister-in-law's part to do that. But she looked at the reality of it, that she was no longer able to stand it. It was because negativity is catching. It's like the flu. So it's not yeah. just somebody's doing it, but, you know, it starts to ingrain in yourself. Well, it was probably really hard for the mother-in-law as well, I would imagine, to make that change, to, to, to find ways to change your own thought patterns and behavior and way of speaking and interacting. And those are habits as much as anything else. It is. And the first thing to do is recognize that you're in a pattern, in a habit. It's the first step to getting out of it. Okay, so I grew up in Philadelphia, and I have a habit that relates to one of your personas. Which we, so for the folks listening, I did mention this before we started the interview. Um, there's, a, there's a communication type you call a sniper, and that is um, what I grew up with. Um, mm -hmm. And I have an awareness of that, and sometimes people take it the wrong way. And if, but if I'm at home, I mean, that's how everybody talks, so nobody takes offense by it. How do you encourage people or how do you kind of counsel them to, to have greater sensitivity or awareness to the impact of that kind of stuff? Well, I, I laugh because I totally relate since I grew up in New York City and I found that that corridor from New York City to Philadelphia is the, the sniping capital of the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and though, even though people, yeah, sure, they tease and they use put down humor in other places, it is nowhere like like yeah. New York, right? Right. And, and I find that warm and fuzzy, you know, and yes. if my, my wife gets mad at me, she might start sniping at me and I start laughing and giggling and she's like, I'm trying to hurt you. What are you talking about? Why are you laughing? <laughs> but I think it's warm and fuzzy. But the right. little bit of teasing I give her, forget about it. That's uh, So I found as I went west, it was not the same uh, for everyone. And actually it was my friend and co-author who grew up in Cincinnati, who at one time admitted to me that he was laughing on the outside and bleeding on the inside. And uh, when I found out that everybody didn't take it the same way, I became conscious and um, just reformed and realized that, um, well, it's just not the same for everybody. And what's my goal in any particular situation? I don't want this person to feel bad, so I have to adjust my behavior. And like anything you do, you have to put a little bit of conscious attention on it for a while force yeah. yourself for a while and then before you know it it becomes uh automatic but i have to tell you still if you start sniping at me i'm gonna start purring like Bring a cat. It back. yeah exactly <laughs> it's like a hug um yeah it's a so, hug. absolutely 
there's there's a part of me that you know when I hear things like what you just said, there is a part of me that thinks, oh yes, this is exactly like I don't really want to hurt anyone, I don't want to offend anyone. There's another part of me that that thinks if everybody stopped doing that, conversations would be so boring that I just wouldn't want to participate in any of them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's. Do you think that there is a healthy amount of regional dysfunction or, or something like that that can be part of encoding the message? You know, if we talk about communication theory, that's part of it, right? Even things like bless your heart, which sounds like it's a very kind thing, which may or may not actually mean bless your heart. Yeah, we know it doesn't mean that. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot of people <laughs> in the South in my uh, seminars that yeah. tell me the real meaning behind that. Uh, yeah, you got to adapt to everybody that you're you're with, really. I mean, in any communication, you have to first know what you want. What's your goal in this interaction? And so if the goal is to be f friendly and connect with people. Then you have to understand, well, how would they interpret that? Okay. You know, I think I got this way back. It was a really little child. I remember there was some Walt Disney cartoon or something. I, I don't think even think it was a full movie about this bear, a young bear that was in the circus and as the train's going by a forest, some, somehow he gets out of the train and he goes into the forest and he meets a girl bear and uh, he falls in love with her and she slaps him in the face and he's all bummed out. But he, what he didn't realize is, and, and they somehow established this earlier, that a slap in the face for the wild bears meant, I like you. <laughs> okay. So I... <laughs> So you have to have, without getting all hashtag me too about it, yeah. you have to, have, <laughs> you you have to have context for for the language as well. So this is to me, this is a really interesting part of it. If you think about communication theory, and that I I know I bring stuff to a conversation, but is it fair to expect the receiver to bring tools as well to decode my message, or is it really completely on me to make my message? presentable in a way that will just sneak through all the systems and filters? I think, uh, I mean, it, there's expression it takes two to tango, but uh, you can only be responsible for yourself. So uh, the meaning of your communication is the response you get from the other person. So it's really up to you. Um, I mean, your point of power is in your own behavior and how you adapt. You know, my, my friend and co-author is fond of saying, if you wish in one hand and spit in another, Guess which one's going to fill up first? Yeah. And, and I, people in seminars ask me, why can't that person change their behavior? I'm like, well, wish in one hand, spit in the other. See which one yeah, fills exactly. Up. Yeah, if they were here at this program, and, and maybe they would. If you guys were in a relationship in counseling, then maybe you would, but you can't depend on that. So uh, you're much more empowered, uh, self-empowered, if you really take responsibility for how does this person work? Pay attention. What do they really need from you? You know, some people need pleasantries. Oh, how you doing? Da, da, da. And some people just need you to get to the point. Here's yeah. the report. Here's the bottom line. Some people need the details from you. You can't just bottom line it. Well, how do you base it? What do you base that on? And with that person, if you know that, you slow down. You start out with all the details, everything you went through that build to the conclusion. And the more flexible you can be, uh, the more successful you will be yeah. in all relationships. Okay.
Cool. So can you, I, I, I meant to ask you this earlier, but I got kind of caught up in what we were talking about. Could yeah. you give uh, like a quick summary for folks? Like what are they going to learn when they come to the session, the closing session? Well, I think they're going to learn uh, about all the different ways that people uh, receive communication, you know, on many different levels. You know, like uh, what I just alluded to is some people are more uh, get it done, get to the bottom line. Other people are yeah. more, more get it right, they need the details. Other people are more get along, be friendly, you know, and uh, how's the family? How are you doing? Um, there's other parameters. You know, we have five senses and we do not pay attention equally. Some people are more visual. Uh, it's what they see that counts. Other people need to hear it and other people need to uh, feel it. And if you listen to human language, we have words to represent that. Like, look at this. Let me paint a bright picture for you. Uh, let's get a bird's eye view. Bird's eye view, paint a picture, bright. All those words are visual words. They they would yeah. connect with somebody who's paying attention at that level. Uh, or if I say, uh, let me tell you something. I want to know if this rings a bell for you. How's it sound to you? Those are those are auditory words. Uh, sit tight, hang on. I want to bounce something off you. Let me know if this feels good to you. Those are kinesthetic words. So there's many parameters to pay attention to. And the bottom line is you got to know what you want. You pay attention to the person you're with and you be flexible. I mean, in this okay. simplest, most general form, everything is a subset of that. Know what you want in this interaction. Pay attention. How does this person receive communication? What's your history with them? What do you know about them? And even if you've never met them before, there are clues that you can pay attention to. And then uh, be flexible. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, can I ask you two more quick questions? You can ask me anything you want. All right. So as somebody who studies communication for a living, and this is this is your whole thing, um, how do you think that that simple model, like that Shannon Weaver model of sender receiver has, has been changed by the onset of all the technology and all the other stuff that we have going on and just the constant barrage of information, or is that <laughs> model still hold? Tell me that model again. I so there's it. a sender and a message and a receiver. Like hmm. if I want to, if I'm communicating with you, I am I am the sender. I have a message. I'm encoding somehow, and I'm sending it to you, and you're decoding it. And it's just basic, you know, a, a basic conversation. But I bring baggage that gets glommed onto that message. There's noise that hits the signal as it transfers from one side to the other, um, and that confuses the message. And I'm wondering if you think that there's been or, or, or I guess, what kind of changes do you think have have been imposed on people's ease of communication with the onset of, of you know the internet and all the technology and the fact that I can post something online that's never going to go away? Mm. Yeah. So uh, two things. Uh, one is you, you mentioned you didn't use the word leak in, but so, something that's other things, baggage comes in. Yeah. And uh, so let's just focus on that. First of all, there's what you say and there's how you say it. Yeah. And how you say it is uh, volume, speed, and tone. Uh, and tone is the big one. Uh, tone reflects emotional state. Wherever you are emotionally tends to come out through your tone. Mm -hmm. And at the tone, people tend to take things personally. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed a lot in communication is you could be feeling something that has nothing to do with the person you're interacting with. So of course you suppress that. Your conscious mind is going to pick the concepts you want to communicate, which is then come out in a symbol system we call word and language. Mm -hmm. But then your emotional state could leak out through your tone, and tone carries a higher weight. Uh, people will only respond to the tone. 
and ignore your words. You know, when it comes to rock, paper, scissor, words, tone, tone crushes words. So that's one huge thing that we all get into. But getting into this uh, modern age, you know, we have all these other uh, written forms of communication, whether it's posting and texting, uh, email, which is now uh, older. People are totally misusing some of these forms based on what they're really trying to achieve. Uh, anything that's in writing really has to be about factual. Well, you, just yesterday, okay, I play uh, gym hockey with a group of guys. We didn't have enough. Usually afterwards, we go out someplace. We didn't have enough people, so we we're just going to go out someplace. Let's go someplace different. One person suggested a text, and before you know, you got five different people texting different things, and nobody's understanding each other because if we're trying to decide on a new place, you know, you have to say, well, what about this? And then somebody else needs to verbally go, well, you know, I was there once. It was not so good. Or it's a little bit far for me, or I really don't feel like eating that. There's all these parameters that need to be discussed and you cannot do that in a text. It's absolutely yes, insane. Thank you. Yeah, insane. I, I, I finally said, this is not the thing for texting. My brother-in-law is one of the guys then called me and in two minutes, we worked you it out. The problem. Yes, <laughs> you can't solve everything in Slack. It's not going to no. fix your problems. So you got to know what you're, you know, you've got to choose your form of communication. Uh, you know, email, you have a, there's an illusion it's going to be quick and easy, but there's things that should not be done in email. And Well, it's also know, a push too. It's not a dialogue. Yes, exactly. It's not a dialogue. It's a solitary right. thing. First of all, in a written communication, we're depending on the sender to actually articulate clearly, which is a huge assumption to begin with. Yeah. Then secondly, the receiver has to interpret whatever the sender sent correctly. But yeah. there's no feedback loop because it's not an interactive format. So you could write something to me and I think, oh, yeah, I totally understand what Peter's saying. I don't have a clue. I'm totally misunderstanding you. Yeah. And then responding to that, which then my response creates more confusion in you. And around we go. It's the snowball rolling down the hill of confusion. So is that the lack of tone? I mean, you mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, people that are having a verbal conversation. I'm assuming anybody who's ever been married or seriously involved with another person understands how your tone <laughs> finds its yeah. way in when you it may or maybe you intend it or not. You might not even be aware of it, but it creeps in. Absolutely. It, it has no way to get in in the written word unless you unless you purposely put it in there. Actually, it's worse than that because the reader is going to hallucinate freely as to how they think you sound when they say it. So uh, okay. you could get something. And, you know, like uh, even my brother-in-law said to me, uh, he, he goes, yeah, you can't do this in text. You know, even a short little thing, you think the person sound curt or they're upset or they're, yeah. you know, they just went, okay, or just wrote a K. Well, what do you mean? By so we, it's even worse because we, <laughs> we as the receiver we project, it. we project the tone on the email and then we take our own projection personally. Yeah. So how do you stop yourself from doing that? Well, first of all, as a reader, you have to recognize that I am hallucinating freely. I really don't know how this person sounds. And uh, if I'm suspecting that there might be emotional content or some energy, then I have to pull the ripcord and bail on email and get into an interactive format, either on the phone Actually or Actually talk to, to someone. Yes. Okay. At, at the same time, if I'm a sender, I have to look at it from the other person's perspective and think, hmm, could this be taken another way? Or is this really kind of a – maybe it really is a touchy subject. And if it is yeah. a touchy subject, then it shouldn't be done in – email at all. 
I'm so, thinking okay. of, yeah. uh, of a board I was on now. One, uh, one board member vented in uh, a, an email. We don't usually do that. We don't have official rules about it, but that has been a habit on this board for years that we don't really do that. But here we have a new board member. So the executive director is like, well, you know, I, I really I don't want to call this person out, but I don't think that's appropriate. So I was thinking at the board meeting, bringing up that we should all be civil in the email and that, 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 that. And then I said there, well, I don't think that's the right way to do it because you're going to defeat your own purpose because you don't want to call him out. But if you do that, we all know he's the one who did that. So he's going to now feel embarrassed and in front of everybody else. And really what you need to do is just talk to him and just tell him directly because what's going to happen in that conversation, he's going to go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you. Oh, it's okay. Oh, no. Oh, kiss, 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 hug, hug. You know, we're going to have all this other communication is going to come through our tone if we were face to face through facial expressions but even on the phone and they would work it out and feel even 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 closer so i I feel like you really know have to know when it's time to bail on email and go interactive okay cool thank you i guess there's a there's a part of my thing in the back of my head that's saying well that guy's still going to know everybody's like oh that jerk (laughs) <laughs> you know, but but I guess that's his own baggage that he's going to have to, you know, let that go. Or carry well, I didn't really I read his email. I didn't think it was so bad. He even acknowledged, OK, I know I'm venting and da, 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 da. So, OK, he set it up okay. with an intent that, OK, I just need to get this out. And so therefore and that see, that's a very smart thing. If I tell people you should think of communication like a phone number. You need yeah. all the digits and you need them in the right order. Well, when you start out any communication with a statement of intent, what's the purpose here? It's like dialing the area code. It gets you in the right general vicinity with with people. You know, like, for example, I see couples. OK, one person's upset about something. Their intent yeah. now is to clear the air. Good intent. They go up to their partner, but they don't speak their intent. They just say, I was upset the other day when you said da-da-da-da. And then their partner hears a sound in their mind like this. We are under attack. This is not a drill. If we speak intent, we say, I love you. I care about you. I hate to have something blocking our communication. Now they know where you're coming from. And so that's that's also a really critical part of uh, – I'd say I have these five secrets of conscious communication and uh, paying attention to when to use intent is one of the big – And being sincere with it, right? Because I do – I've had a lot of those, I love you, you're great, but let me tell you why you suck. Right. And the but word basically flushes what you just did. What you want to do instead of a but is you breathe. You stop and you let that sink in. I love you. I care about you. Stop. And I'm a little upset about not a but. It's not a contradiction to the other. It's and in addition, here's something else I want to talk to. And those little subtleties, again, it's, you know, if you take a a phone number, you turn a six into a nine, it's only 10% error. Is it? Yeah. Tend to number, but the call does not get through. Communication is yeah. specific. That's great. Okay, so you're going to be talking at 345 uh, a week from Wednesday. Oh, I thought it was closing. 3 to 4, no? Well, I don't know. My calendar right here says 345 to 5, but I think I'm on Central Time. Maybe that's why. I'll make sure I put it in the show notes, and it'll be perfectly right. I'll check out with the Scrum Alliance. Um, the talk is conscious communication to bring out the best in people and others. One last question before we promote your website and your books and stuff. Um, do you have like a personal role model that you think or somebody that you look to and you're like, that person is just an amazing communicator. Like, I wish I could be as good as that person. Well, uh, I, what just flashed into mind is uh, Mr. Spock. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, 
like his just matter of fact, um, here's how it is without uh, any emotional charge. He can just lay out the facts. And also yeah. he's not going to take things personally. He's going to okay. accept whatever. I can't say that I have had a role model that I have held in my head, but when you ask me that, that's the first uh, one that popped, popped in. That's mind. a good one, though. I mean, he does a very effective job of encoding his message. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, when I was learning to speak in front of groups and, you know, what you're asking me is something called modeling where you yeah. put yourself in someone else's shoes. Well, so I, I wanted to be calm and centered. Uh, and I asked myself who would be calm and centered from 200 people. And I thought of Kwai Chang Kane from the Kung Fu television show. There you, you know, go. David Carradine. Nice. So he's, he's, not, he's dealing with gunslingers and he's throwing them in slow motion. Yeah. He's not going to worry about 200 people. He could take them if they rush the stage. So I would put myself inside Kwai Chang and... I would suddenly just like magic get calm and centered and trust that everything was perfect and there's no way to screw up and I would just be here now and that I think was the foundation of me becoming a an excellent speaker I've done 4000 programs in 17 countries it was that that calm centeredness to just be with whatever it is and yeah. so that made it very easy to also then improv and uh tell funny stories spontaneously and those funny stories then become part of the normal presentation uh, i think everything really came out of that that's that's so a great answer <laughs> really really good answer I, to me it's like the david mamet thing of i imagine somebody smarter than myself when i do what he would do uh, but, but it's it's basically this you know you're channeling this other version or this other aspect of yourself or things that you want to emulate. This is great. So they can go to um, your URL is rickbrinkman.com, correct? Yeah, uh, Dr. 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 Rick Brinkman. Brinkman. I mean, Rick Brinkman will forward. That was the old site. But it, it, yeah, rickbrinkman.com is good. Uh, dealingwithmeetings.com will take them uh, to my site. That's a page within it about meetings. My latest book is Dealing with Meetings. You can't stand. I, I've developed a process over the last 20 years that has handles all the problems at, at meetings. That falls into a uh, there's a top 40 of doing surveys, and all the problems fall into uh, preparation, people, process, and time. You know, so people are like know-it-alls who go on and on and take you down tangents. Uh, preparation is, do we have an agenda or are we just flying by the seat of our pants? Uh, process, is there a speaking order or not? Because if there's not, what's going to happen is your assertive people will dominate and your passive people will drop out. Okay. Uh, time, are we starting on time, ending on time? Are we being realistic on time? Uh, you know, I urge people to think of a meeting like a, a airplane flight. You're a bunch of people in a contained space that are stuck there. You probably don't want to be there. It's going to yeah. be uncomfortable. The meeting can go off course. It can start late. It can arrive late. So you miss your other connections, which are other meetings and, and appointments. And uh, it can even be hijacked. And uh, it really is very simple, I find, to transform meetings because everybody hates meetings universally. So if you went to the person uh, – like your boss would say, how'd you like to hear an idea that makes our meeting shorter, more focused, and productive? Yeah. It's a rare person who says, no, nah, we don't want that. What will we do? We're wasting time and misery. <laughs> so they could go to that site. There's a, an agenda template uh, there. There's a cage-rattling document template. How do you convince people to try an experiment of a new form of meeting? And, of course, there's all the dealing with people you can't stand stuff, yeah. on, online class, Conscious Communication University, and plenty of resources. Awesome. So I'll make sure to include links to this into the Amazon page as well. Can I ask you one meeting question? Absolutely. Ask me whatever you okay. want. Okay, because be, this became a thing for me for a while. I had a one job, and I treated the company like a lab, and I tried to become like the ninja of meetings. <laughs> and one of the things that I would do 
I just I would like to get your just honest opinion about this as somebody who focuses on communication and intent and things like that. Um, I would think about the people in the room and I'd go meet with them all beforehand and find out what they were going to do. So when I had a meeting, it was like I was directing a play. Basically. Mm. But I would decide where I wanted people to sit based on the power relationships in the room and the dynamics. Like if, if there was somebody that I needed to shut down, I would sit them so they were across from somebody that scared them so they would be too intimidated to talk. And if there was somebody that tried to dominate, I'd put them in the middle of the table. Um, does that sound too manipulative for your approach? No, I think uh, that that sounds like a very smart thing to do to organize things. I mean, all communication is manipulative. It's all cause effect, you know. So yeah. uh, manipulation that we worry about is when somebody's trying to get you to do something that's not in your best interest. But okay. uh, you trying to make that meeting productive, I think, is really in everybody's best interest. I mean, this is also what makes meetings easy to deal with. Even the person who you know, if they did not show up at the meeting, it would be a much better meeting. Even they will tell you how bad meetings are. Yeah. So everybody's open to anything that would uh, make meetings better. I find that's uh, universal. Absolutely. Awesome. Universal. Well, this is great. Thank you. So there will be links to all the stuff. If you're going to be at the gathering, please check out the, the closing keynote. And hopefully they'll record it for the other folks too. But Dr. Brinkman, thank you very much for taking the time this afternoon. Absolutely. A pleasure. Thanks, Dave.